our scripture message for tonight. Our title is called Kingdom Culture. And I want to talk about, we've talked a lot about this year about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, depending on what um, chapter in the Bible you're reading or what, what um, gospel. But I want to start with these two verses. As, this is from Jesus. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received freely give. This is Jesus talking to the disciples. And then in Luke 8, 1, it says, it says, after this, Jesus traveled from one city and village to another, preaching and spreading the good news about God's kingdom. Do you know that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven was the most preached about message that Jesus talked about? A lot of times we think that he talked about salvation, and he did talk about salvation as it pertains to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But really, the kingdom of God is the number one thing he talked about when he went from village to village to village. And part of the kingdom of God were these things, healing, driving out demons, all those kinds of things, raise, actually raising the dead, believe it or not. And so I want to talk tonight about kingdom culture. It comes from the book, um, The Way of Life. By Bill Johnson, and so I just want to talk about what does it mean to have a culture? What does it mean to um, preserve and cultivate a culture? What does that look like? How can we participate in that? Um, do you guys ever watch that show called Portlandia? Ever heard of it? Who's who's heard of Portlandia? Anybody? Okay, Sharon, you have to love Portlandia. Okay, so, so Port, who's have you guys seen Portlandia? Oh, all right, 10 seconds. Okay, let me tell you what Portlandia is. It is one of the funniest shows because it is so mocking, is the only way to say it, of the city Portland. It's, um, I think it was started by an ex-Saturday Night Live person. I'm not sure. Is that right? And um, he met this girl, and they decided to start the show called Portlandia, and they do all these different skits based on the quirks and eccentricities of Portland, just all their weird little things that they do because they're way over there on the, the um, Pacific Northwest. It could actually be called Boulderama, really. It could, be what it could be a show about what happens in Boulder, just really funny things. I'm trying to think of, they had um, one skit called The Battle of the Gentle Bands. So they had one lady up there playing feathers, and they were all like, oh, that's so wonderful. And just all these really weird, quirky things. They, Sunbeam? Oh, yeah, they had a parade for the different um, types of, not phobias. Um, um, yeah, they had a parade. Instead of like a gay pride parade, it was an allergy pride parade. So, they, so seriously, they had the lactose intolerant people. They had the soy. They had people with the makeup people. And they were all like looking super ugly and everything. They had... Um, Right? Am I right? They had the peanut allergy. They had the one girl who was inside the bubble, and she would just wave because she was allergic to air. You know that kind of thing. And the peep. And when they do the skit, they're like, "And we have the next. The next float is the lactose intolerant float." You know, and they would do it just like the um, announcers do. And it is, it is really hilarious. If you can handle that kind of satire, it is funny. 
But the reason I bring it up is because one of the last episodes they had, they decided they wanted to secede from the United States so they could preserve their weirdness. They said, we need to preserve our weirdness and not be associated with the United States because they valued their culture so much they didn't want to be polluted by any, like, tourists coming in from, you know, other states and bringing their normal values and stuff like that, right? They have one um, bookstore called Women for, and Women Only Bookstore. <laughs> it's just so funny. And, you know, they printed up their own paper and then realized they need a visa to go other places and they couldn't go visit their dad in Washington because they didn't have a visa. You know, and just it's just hilarious. But what it highlighted for me was, <laughs> even though it's funny, they were like, we value our culture so much that we will secede from all the rest of these people around us just so we can preserve our weirdness, you know? And I thought, what we're talking about tonight is a similar thing. How do we preserve a culture when we're in the middle of another culture, if you will? We live in the world, but we need to preserve our own culture. How do we do that? What, what's the key to doing that? Because we've been called to live in a different kind of kingdom. We've not been called to live the way the world lives. We've been called to live according to a certain kind of culture or code or whatever you want to call it. So I just thought that was kind of, that was funny to me. I love Portlandia so much. Bill Johnson defines culture as a culture is the system of beliefs, disciplines, practices, and relational boundaries that reveal how life is lived among a particular group of people. You know, um, when we think about different cultures, a lot of times we think about corporate culture. You know that Apple University has, or Apple, uh, the Apple business has a thing called the Apple University. It was founded by a Yale uh, management graduate because they valued their uh, culture so much they started a university to teach all their employees how to do it exactly the Apple way. But it's really, really secretive and they won't tell anyone what they teach inside there. And they have all these different professors, but they teach things like the history of Apple and how to be super creative and how to be simplistic and things like that because Apple values their Apple brand so much that they want to indoctrinate, if you will, all their employees into the Apple way of doing life. Unfortunately for Apple, and I think this is ironic because this goes back to the culture again, everything flows downhill. Every single, when you're in a leadership position, the people that are underneath you reflect what you value, okay? Apple may value their creativity and their history and whatever, um, whatever they think is important about Apple. Unfortunately, they did not make the top 10 best corporate environments to work for, not even close. Because you know what? They don't value people. They don't value people. And if you knew anything about Steve Jobs, if you've watched any movies about him or read any books about him, you understand he didn't value people because you know what? He didn't value God. Because you know what? Valuing people stems from our relationship with God. And Apple may be, you know, I have an Apple phone. I have an Apple MacBook. I love Apple. I didn't used to. I do love their creativity. I do love their simplicity. I do love a lot of things that they do. 
a lot of people don't like working for Apple. Didn't like working for Steve Jobs. You know, he got fired from Apple, went and started another company, got rehired. I think he got fired again because he was so hard to work with. That's a bummer. That's a big, fat bummer. Because that man, believe it or not, whether he's a Christian or not, I couldn't tell you. I don't think so. He had a gift. He had a gift of leadership, and he had a gift of vision. But what he didn't have was a love for the Lord. And what, what he didn't have was the right position with God to actually impact the world in such a way, not just with computers and creativity, but in a way that could have had a hundredfold impact than even what has happened now with Apple. When you think about how, where Apple is everywhere, imagine if he had been a Christian. I mean, um, Bill Gates, he's an agnostic, and he has done more for Africa than even the churches have to stop the spread of AIDS because he's, he's been s such a giving man with his money, his um, philan philanthropy, is that right? Um, has been so incredible that he has changed Africa, helped to eradicate the disease of AIDS more than all the churches put together. That's incredible. That's a legacy. So when I'm talking about king kingdom culture, I'm talking about what is the right, what's the right position for us when we're in a kingdom culture, for us to actually flourish in the gifts that God has given us to impact the world. Because we're here not just for ourselves, we are actually here to impact the world. Yes, ma'am. How, if we value God, our relationship with God. <clears throat> you know, people want to be part of a kingdom. <laughs> you know, somebody said that there is a God-shaped hole inside of all of us. I say there's a Jesus, and that looks like Jesus. There's a Jesus-shaped hole inside of us. You know, I don't know about you, but I love supernatural movies and shows and fantasy and stuff like that because I do like, um, we were just watching Lord of the Rings. Who was I watching? That I was watching with my son. And we were talking about that last movie, The Return of the King, and how um, the hero, Aragorn, Gorn, 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 Aragorn, or Gorn, Aragorn. He represents, he represents Christ in that movie, actually, when it's the return of the king because it's the return of this conquering savior that comes in, dispels all the evil, and rules in power and peace and actually unites all the people. That movie, when I read that book and watched that movie, I was like, this is who Jesus is. This is who he is. He comes, he all darkness flees from him. He conquers everything. He sets everything in order, and peace reigns from then on. That's why people like all the supernatural movies, because inside of them, they are hungering for the God who will dispel all of torment, disease, and set everything right. We all know deep down in our hearts that that's really what's going on. Whether you're left-brained, right-brained, or whatever, we wouldn't have the popularity of all these movies, superhero, fantasy, vampire, Harry Potter, 
All these kinds of things would not exist if we did not have a desire for the supernatural in our lives and for the conquering king to come back and set the captives free. That's what we all long for deep down in our hearts. People that know God long for it and people who don't know God, they long for it. It's deep in their heart. It's part of how we were created. And so a kingdom culture always is presence-based. It's focused on the person of God. You know, um, a lot of times people talk about presence, and I'm like, what are they talking about? What does presence mean? What is God's presence? How do you define that? Well, in the Old Testament, presence was the same name as face. Presence meant I'm, with, I'm actually in your face. We're sitting face to face. We're having dinner. I'm seeing you face to face. You're not hidden from me. You're not far away. I can actually see the contours of your face. When Moses met with God on the mountaintop, it says he saw him face to face as a friend sees another friend, you know? And have you guys ever been in the presence of somebody who is so filled with the Holy Spirit, they exude just love and patience. I mean, you're so, you're so drawn to them. You're like, I just want to be your best friend, and I don't even know you. Because there's something inside of you that flows out of you, and you are so at peace. Nothing ruffles your feathers, and I just want that. Have you ever experienced anyone like that ever? Janet Holloway? Yeah. Anybody else? You have? Um, I, for me, one of those persons, I don't know if you know her, her name is Jenny Drott. Yeah, right? But when you're in the presence of Jenny Drott, the Holy Spirit is inside of her and outside of her. And am, I, am I right? And when you talk to her, her voice is calm and it's thoughtful, but there, it, it, it drips with the presence of God. Am I right? Have you ever met anyone who's super angry? in hostile? Have you ever met anyone like that? Do you want to be next to that person? Do you want to spend time with them? Do you want to be in their presence? They change the atmosphere, right? If we're, gonna, if we're going to be part of a kingdom culture, we want to be Jenny Drott. We want to be the person that is so face-to-face -face with God and so in the presence of God that people are like, I don't know what's going on with her, but she's the nicest person I've ever met. Nothing gets her down. She trusts God with her whole heart. And I've never met anyone like her. She's not divisive. She doesn't, she doesn't mock or ridicule people. She's not worried about politics. She's not really worried about anything. She's just living in the presence of God. That's where a kingdom culture starts, is the presence of God. Do you remember, um, you remember in that story in um, the Old Testament when um, Noah was in the ark and he had brought all the animals in and everything, and he, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and then it stopped raining. And after it had stopped raining for a period of time, he sent a dove out, and the dove came back, and she, she had, couldn't find any place to land, so she came back. Do you remember that story? And then he waited seven days more, and she came back with a little twig in her mouth, and then he waited seven more days, and he sent her out, and she didn't come out, come back. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is in us to transform us, to change us, 
to heal us, but is on us to transform the world. It's in us for us. The Holy Spirit is inside, but rests on us to transform the world around us. The Holy Spirit is like that dove, just waiting to find a person to rest on. Who can I rest on that wants me, that's willing that I can work through them to transform the world? That's what the Holy Spirit is like. And if we're going to be a kingdom culture person, we want to invite the Holy Spirit not only to be inside us, but to be on us. How is the Holy Spirit going to be on us so that we can transform the world? Sharon Garcher, do I get an amen? (laughs) Yay! Basically, here's the deal. Your shadow, your shadow will release whatever overshadows you. Your shadow will release whatever overshadows you. If you are overshadowed with love and peace and grace and mercy, you will release that. If you are overshadowed with anger, anxiety, fear, you will release that. Am I right? They can tell a difference. Yeah. It radically changes the atmosphere. Radically changes. Whatever is, whichever is overshadowing you is what you pour out to the world around you. And we got to make a decision. What are we pouring out to the world around us? First of all, what do we have overshadowing us? What do we want? What do we want landing on us? Do we want the dove landing on us or something else? Because whatever is on us is what comes out of us. And the dove is looking to land on us. The dove is looking for people to land on. All of life, all of life, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, and all of ministry is connected to your relationship with the Holy Spirit. All of life. The peace, the face of God, and your relationship to it determines your ultimate significance Destiny and success in life, everything stems from this. It's only through the Holy Spirit flowing through us. You know, we talk about what overshadows us, and we all want significance. Part of, uh, part of the cult kingdom culture is this thing called significance. We all want significance. True significance only comes through the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing. We were created. We were created to co-partner with the Holy Spirit 
and transform this world. It is the only thing that brings our significance. Not money, not possessions, not status. Nothing brings us significance except partnering the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to participate in a kingdom culture, we have to hold that as a transformational value. It has to be a foundational value. That significance is only found via the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk about four cornerstones of kingdom culture. The first one is this. God is good. That's, there's four, like a, like a chair, like a stool. God is good. You can't even have kingdom culture unless you believe that God is good. A lot of us, um, we attribute tragedies to God, like the fires in Reading or 9-11 or things that happen around the world um, or things that happen to us personally. We um, attribute to God. I prayed. This didn't happen. Did God make it happen? And I'm here to tell you we live in a fallen world. God has given this world and the people in it free will. If we don't take care of our trees or forests the way we're supposed to, that we may have really bad forest fires. If we um, are not um, good to one another, we are going to have relational conflict. You know, this is the free will that God gives us because he does not want to have robots that love him. He wants to have people to co-labor with, to, co to participate with. It gives him pleasure. Those of you that have had kids know that sometimes it's not building the Lego stupid thing that brings you pleasure, right? I mean, I didn't buy Legos with my boys because I wanted to put a freaking Lego together, you know? Sometimes I hate those things. You know, the battleship or the whatever they all were, the Star Wars things or whatever. But you know what my joy was? Sitting down with my son and doing it together and showing him how to read the directions and making a plan when we were going to do it together and completing a task together. That was the pleasure for me, not because I needed to do it, I could have done it or not done it. I didn't care. But my boys love doing it. I love teaching them, and I love doing it with them. It's the same way with the Lord. He doesn't need us for anything, but he wants us for everything. He doesn't need us for anything. Doesn't need us at all. But he wants to share himself with us because he knows we were made to share ourselves with him. We were made to share ourselves with him, and he knows what will fulfill us and what won't. That's why he gave us free will. The second thing I want to talk about is nothing is impossible. This is the scripture, Matthew 17, 20. He replied, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, a mustard seed was tiny. You guys seen mustard like in the spice section? It's tiny. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But here's the deal. If we're going to take kingdom culture for serious, we've got to take this literally. It's not metaphorical. It's absolutely literal. The scripture, heal, cast out demons, and raise the dead, yeah, that's not a metaphor. That's real. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around that as Western people. And Emma, preach with me, girl. You're at Bethel. Do you believe in this stuff? I hate it when you do that. <laughs> the problem is, in our, you know, they say that um, third world countries get a lot more healing than we do here in the um, Western world. 
because they actually have more faith. Now, I want you to know that Jesus didn't always heal based on people's faith, but faith is one of the doorways to seeing miracles happen. Um, Jesus, every single person that he came in contact with who was willing, he healed, he restored, cast out demons, or raised from the dead, if they were willing. Now, he went to his own... Um, where he grew up, the town he grew up in, and not many miracles were accomplished there because they didn't believe him. Because unbelief shuts the door to what God can do. Because again, God is a gentleman. God has, gives us free will, and if we say, nope, he doesn't go against our free will. So willingness is a part. You know, <laughs> sometimes wrongly, we say to people, well, your faith is too small, that's why you're not getting healed, or whatever. That's not right. That's not true. There are many times when God has healed people despite their lack of faith or despite their knowledge of him, because many times miracles are actually a tool for evangelism in the eyes of God. God will use miracles and the supernatural to actually reach a person who's never heard of him before and open their eyes to him. It has nothing to do with their faith. They didn't even know him. They didn't even know him. So you can't say that it's because of your faith that you're not being healed or your lack of faith. Sometimes we don't know. And sometimes the miracle that God gives us is actually perseverance to persevere till we see the breakthrough. Right? But understand, there is nothing impossible for God. And if we're going to have a kingdom culture, here's the thing, you guys. This is, and I say this to Chris all the time. He probably hates it. Sometimes we have to exercise muscles that we don't have or have very little of. Um, you, you guys know this. The more we exercise something, the stronger it gets, the better able we're able to use it. And then you've ever, ever heard that thing called muscle memory where you can just do things because your hands remember how to do it? But piano players are like that, right? Music people, they do stuff so much that their fingers actually have muscle memory. They don't even have to like tell their hands what to do anymore because they've done it so much. That's what your faith muscle is like. That's what your faith muscle is like. If you would exercise it so much, you would begin to have muscle memory, you wouldn't even question it anymore. It would become part of your life because you've exercised it so much, it is now normal. Like dancers who dance on their toes and stuff like that. That doesn't seem normal, right? But you do it. You've done it, right, Jane? And you know how to do it now, right? And your feet know how to do it. Am I right? <laughs> I guess my point is this. Part of kingdom culture is believing that nothing is impossible whether you want to or not. Because that's what God says. That's in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible that says that miracles are not for today. They absolutely are for today because the kingdom of heaven is for today. And that's what happens in heaven. There is no disease in heaven. There are no demons in heaven. There's no death in heaven. If there's no death in heaven and Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven, then the expectation is that we don't have to live with disease, death, or demons here either. We just have to start exercising our faith muscle. Right? Thank you, Emma. So glad you're here. Um, this is going to, maybe this is going to mess you up, maybe it's not. 
You know, Jesus said to his followers, he said, these things I have done, and you're going to do greater things. We're going to do greater things than Jesus, and Jesus raised people from the dead. I don't know how much greater there is than that, but that's what he did, right? But here's two things that happened, and people are like, oh, I don't even want to talk about this because it seems so crazy. But one of the things was, um, you know, Paul, they would take Paul's handkerchiefs and his aprons, and they'd pass them around to people when he wasn't there. And people would touch those garments, and they would become healed because the anointing power was inside his clothes, inside his clothes. The other one is people would line up on the streets and would say, oh, you know what? Peter is going to walk by at noon and his shadow is going to fall on us and it healed people. His shadow healed people. His shadow healed people. That's incredible stuff, you guys. But that's the Bible because the Bible is pretty crazy like that. That's not just for them. That's for us. And I know that's crazy, and it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it, but what I'm asking you to do is exercise your faith muscle. Am I in the third, second, or third thing? Third. Jesus' blood paid for everything. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. And we know that in the Bible, the first things people say and the last things people say are very important. So it's very important to, when Jesus says it is finished, guess what he actually means when he says that, you guys? What does he mean? No, it means it is finished. It means every single thing is finished. Everything's been done for you on the cross. Everything that could be done, your salvation, your deliverance, your destiny, your significance has been completed on the cross. There's not one more thing to add to it God has already done it. We can't add to our significance. We can't add to our salvation. We can't save ourselves. It's been finished. And therefore, we owe him our complete trust. What person here completely trusts Jesus with everything? Raise your hand. Good girl. You are the only one. Debbie was. Because everything was completed on the cross, and I mean everything, every good work that we're going to complete, every part of our destiny has been completed, we owe him our complete trust. We don't have to worry about anything, and again, that's a muscle. Trust is a muscle. What, there's two things required of us if we're going to please God. One is to love, and the other is to believe. It says without faith, we can, it's impossible to please God. Love and faith go hand in hand. And if we are going to put our complete trust in Jesus, we have to have those two things. They're the two sides of the same coin. And the third one, I want to just finish with this, and I've already kind of talked about it, is we're all significant. Every single person is significant. The saved and the unsaved are all significant. It's not just Christians that are significant. It's the unsaved as well because God values the world. Because like I told you, the reason that Apple, there's a I'm going to read you the top 10 best places to work in the country. Zappos, have you ever heard of them? Zappos. One's called Warby Parker. It's... It's an eyeglass place. Southwest Airlines, 
Twitter, Chevron, Squarespace, Google, REI, Facebook, and Adobe. <laughs> no, there's no Apple. There's no Microsoft. You know why these are all so, um, they have top marks and they want, and people are, really want to work there and why they're in the top 10? Because they have built a culture where they value people. They build a culture where people have paid vacation, not just benefits, but they have things like, um, one of them I read, I was like, I want to go work there. One of them is where they make sure that they have events that bring them together weekly. Does that sound familiar? Where they're like, how do we build community within our business so people don't want to leave? Another one was they have what's called a flat environment, so there's not a bunch of layers of management, so if you need to go to management, you can. Another one, I think Squarespace, that's a website place, they had this very open, creative environment where they really encourage creative people to come and be themselves. But the, the bottom line to it is they value the uniqueness of people. And they don't try to peg them into a certain place and have a top-down kind of management. They're, what they want to do is empower people to be who they've who they're called to be in that secular environment. And I'm telling you right now, if we're going to do a kingdom culture, we have to understand and teach what significance really is. And let me just tell you what significance is not. It's not money. It's not possessions. It's not status. It's not any of that. It's only our position to the Lord. Because all those other things that we may chase after will fail what we look like, how pretty we are, how muscular we are, they're all going to fail. Every one of it's going to fail. And we build our identity on the things that fail us, it undermines our significance. And we all have a core need for significance. You know, even you see this in, um, do you see this in the church and in the secular world? People build their identity on performance. Well, I'm good. I'm good at management. I'm smart. I know a lot of things. I can get things done. I'm, um, what other things perform? Oh, in the church, spiritual gifts. Well, I can speak in tongues. Um, I can, I'm a good speaker. I have a speaking gift. I'm, um, I'm a good leader. All those things are false. Every single one of them are false. The only identity that is lasting and true is the identity that's based as children of God. And that is the primary message that we have to teach, not just the world. We have to teach Christians that. It's not about your gifting. Your gifting will fail one day or not be seen or not be utilized. It's who are you related to? You're related to God. You're a son or daughter of God. When we get caught up with our title and our status, we absolutely go against the model that Jesus gave us, which was this. At the Last Supper, he got up, took off his robe, girded his waist with a towel, and he washed the feet of every single disciple. This is the Son of God who said, if you cannot participate with this, you have no life with me. True servant leadership is humbling yourself 
saying, how do I serve you? How do I serve you? My significance comes from who I know, not what I do. How do I serve you? How do I wash your feet? That's a kingdom culture. Okay? So I'm going to pray for us, and then um, let us go eat some And let us have some yummy dinner. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God. I pray, Lord, that we would hunger and thirst for your face and for your presence, God. I pray, Lord, that we would choose to change our atmosphere with a kingdom culture. God, that we would be shadowed and overcome by the Holy Spirit and pour it out to the people around us. That where our shadow goes, like Peter, lives would be changed. That our shadow would matter. Because what overshadows us is what we pour out. So God, I pray for every person here. Lord, I thank you for sharing Garcha, who went to Walmart on Black Friday and got us delicious food and has put her hands to this because she loves me so much, Lord. I pray that you would bless her tenfold for her faithfulness, for her generosity, God. That you'd open the doors to her destiny. She would be the woman that you've called her to be, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.